0: From a textbook idea of what a presentation should be, she probably broke all the rules, but what was compelling was her drive and her mission and her passion for what she was talking about.
1: Mel Sherwood has seen it all, from the sublime to the ridiculous.
0: Her whole body was shaking and her voice was shaking, so she she was talking like that it was really uncomfortable to listen to. And she did this for like at least 10 minutes and the audience, it was, oh my goodness, it was awful to listen to.
1: Let's talk about pitching. This is the Converge podcast. I'm Alex, and in today's special episode, we're talking to Mel Sherwood, an expert in pitching and presenting about how creative people and businesses can make the most of their time on stage to translate their ideas to investors and partners, even in the era of Zoom calls.
0: The idea that, you know, people think, oh, there's there's less connection online, but ultimately, you know, you're sitting there in your office or in your living room or wherever you're looking from, you have a front row seat. It's much more intimate. So in actual fact, there's, it's possible to create a closer connection than it would be if you were standing on a stage.
1: Mel is from Australia originally and spent much of her early life performing on stage and on camera. It was during a corporate job that she learned about the mechanics of business and began the process of starting her own venture. It proved to be a bit of a rude awakening when, after joining a business accelerator, she discovered that no one was willing to pay for the idea, even though they liked it. But by that point there were so many people asking Mel for help pitching and presenting that it seemed as though a new career had unexpectedly found her. In this episode, we'll cover the good, the bad and the ugly of pitching and presenting and touch on loads of actionable advice. But before that, let's begin with a couple of definitions. First up, I wanted to know, what are the tenets of good communication?
0: I think knowing your objective for it, what's the reason you're communicating is quite crucial. And I see this a lot in presentations. People are not totally clear about what they are talking about. So therefore, they can't expect their audience to be clear on that. The second thing is knowing your audience. You have to adapt your communication based on who you're speaking to and what they care about. Until you can tap into what they care about, they're not likely to listen to you. If you're doing a presentation as such, I kind of have a, a formula that I took about preparation plus practice plus passion equals pitch tastic. And the preparation part is not only just what you say, but it's also about how you say it. So, and preparing your body, your voice, your mind, your heart to be able to. Utilize those tools and enhance the communication. The other part is practice. You can't get better at anything without practicing. And then finally, passion. I think if you're not interested and enthusiastic about what you're talking about, you can't really expect anyone else to be.
1: So, know your objective, know your audience, and remember preparation, practice, and passion. Now, for our second definition what do we actually mean when we're talking about a pitch?
0: For me, a pitch is simply enabling people to understand what it is that you do making them curious to know you know pitch for me is not selling it might be selling your ideas and it might be getting people interested but at the end of the day it's the start of the process so a pitch is to get people to be curious enough to ask more or to find out more about it and then selling if you if you think about it sort of maybe the end of the transaction that's kind of the difference that quite often is is talked about in in the sessions that I do i think Pitching and presenting are very similar as well. And that's another thing to, that people people consider. But I have two two types of pitch I talk about quite often. I mean, there are lots of different pitches. There's an investor pitch and a, you know a sales pitch and whatever. But I talk about a conversational pitch and then your 30 to 60 second elevator pitch. The conversational pitch is the very short answer to the question, what do you do? People will say, what do you do? And then, some people will think that's an invitation to just talk at them for 10 minutes and to tell them every single thing about what they do. Really, that's, as I said before, when someone asks what you do, they don't care about what you do, they care about what you can do for them. But ultimately, you need a conversational pitch, a short seven to 15 word sentence that says you know who you are, what you do, and then your longer sort of elevator pitch, which fleshes that out a little bit. But even so, that's still the start of a conversation.
1: Okay, we know the basic elements of good communication and we can spot a pitch in the wild. Next up, I wanted to find out more about Mel's story, because in many ways, it's typical of the creative person who doesn't know exactly how to translate their ideas and passions into a business. Mel's early life as a performer with no business acumen meant she had it all to learn. But what was that journey like? You
0: know, I loved performing, but I always just assumed that I would go from project to project and that I would have someone else controlling whether i got a job or not or whether i was employed or not and reflecting back now i actually don't think i had the drive the determination or the desire to maybe live a life in poverty which is kind of what what i was where i was headed and I actually, in hindsight, now I look back, I realise that that was really limited. That was a really narrow mindset to just expect that I would go from job to job and that I would rely on, on me auditioning for parts and someone else controlling that future. And then I realized that, and I sort of, I gave myself sort of 10 years to pursue that. But I think at the same time, I was work, working part-time in business and finding that really fulfilling as well and learning lots of things. And uh, that was helping to pay pay the, the bills. But actually in my mid twenties, I then got together with some people and we created a, a show, a, tri- a 60s tribute show, a 60s girl band really. And, you know, I had no idea about business and I was just Following my my passion, I loved it. I loved the variety. I loved the fact that I could get involved in designing the costumes and choreographing and creating a, the script around it, and then obviously the performing of it. I didn't know anything about how to market properly and understanding profit and loss and how to actually change the way I communicated it to get people on board and to really sell it. And in hindsight, you know, if I had have had the opportunity to learn all of that as part of my learning when I was studying performing arts. I think potentially that would have been a lot more successful and enjoyable because it wouldn't have, you know, you know, if I had a clue about what I was doing, that would be good. And I, I think had I had that understanding of business earlier on, my whole career would have been different. I don't think that I would have you know, worked for a big corporate, I would have fulfilled that creative passion and that creative drive to create my own projects rather than relying on on someone else to you know, manage my future, basically, whether they decided I was right for a part or not. And if I knew then what I know now about business and how to promote myself and even the whole thing about networking and connecting with casting agents and that i hated all of that and i just thought oh why do i have to do that but now i'm in business i'm doing it all the time and i realise what a valuable thing that would have been
1: do you think that there is a quick sort of toolkit that you could give yourself back then to be better able to translate those things into like solid businesses or do you think that maybe you had to have that experience in corporate and be taken away from where you thought you wanted to go to gain that skill set
0: I think it's a bit of both. As we grow and learn and experience things, we always learn from those experiences. But I also think that there is something to be said for understanding how to be in business from an early, early age. Because I, I mean, I left my job when I was forty something. I think you know the, the full time job that I had at the time. Uh, I didn't go into business till I was, I think, forty three. And I just think, you know, how what my life would have been and how much more free it would be if I had of taken control of that earlier on and, and just pursued my passion for the creative world. <laughs> but then, I, I, you know, I embrace the experiences that I have had and I haven't been unhappy in my roles, but I think I could have been very different in my approach if I knew, knew a few things about actually taking control of a business idea and, and bringing it to life.
1: When you do your work now and you train people on pitching and presenting, do you see yourself in the people you train or do you see like a really huge range of people coming in for this sort of training?
0: Yeah, I do see a real range. I see people like me for sure. And I, I work with people who, you know, just looking at, being a consultant, you know, and and being self-employed, I also see people with incredible ideas that are potentially going to change the world that we know. But what the common theme is that they struggle to actually articulate that in a way that's going to capture the attention and the imagination of the people who can help them bring it to life. So it's about understanding who the audience is and and business people care a lot less about what you care about. So you might have this passion and drive to to bring a project to life, you know, for a social or I don't know, maybe an environmental impact or something. If you're looking for investment, yes, you might get investors who care about that, but at the end of the day, the bottom line for them is the money. You know, what's the financial impact? What's the impact in their pocket? If they're about to invest in you, what are they going to get from it? And you really need to put yourself in their shoes and understand what they're looking at. And then all of your communication is based around what they care about. Because even when someone asks the question, what do you do? They don't care about what you do. They care about what you can do for them. So it's important to always remember that when you're you're pitching and to be pitch ready at any given time as well. So practice that, know what you're talking about and who you're talking to so that you get used to, being able to articulate it clearly and concisely rather than waffling along, which may be what I'm doing in this interview.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. One thing I'm kind of interested in that's been brought up so far by what you've said is the relationship between the people pitching and those being pitched to. I think for a lot of people who are nervous about presenting or talking or putting any part of themselves online in front of other people is that the dynamic can feel a bit adversarial. How do you talk to people or what do you say to people when it's a case of needing to get out of your head and relax and realise that it's not, you know, it's not Dragon's Den?
0: No, it's not. Sometimes it feels like that. Certain pitching competitions and that sort of thing can feel like that. But ultimately, it's a conversation. I always think about, you know, what would you do if you were telling someone your idea down the pub or in a cafe? How would you share that? and if you're passionate and excited about your idea there you know your, your body language is going to be natural your, your tone of voice is going to be excited and enthusiastic and so it really is just a, a case of being enthusiastic about your idea and I think pitching if you if you have a concern about pitching, it might be and, and selling as well actually sometimes it's easier to reframe it as helping. So actually if you didn't share your idea, you wouldn't be able to help the people that you want to help. And it, whether that's a one-to-one thing, you know, you're know, you actually talking about what you do and someone needs what you do, that's fantastic. Because if, they, if you hadn't said it, they wouldn't know that you could help them. So if you reframe it as helping rather than selling, it doesn't feel so icky and salesy, then yeah, that's probably a, a good approach.
1: One thing Mel has in spades is experience and stories surrounding pictures. I asked if there were any examples of pitches going really well that we could learn from, and if there was one that maybe stuck out in our mind as going not so well.
0: It was excruciating. It was a, it was a TEDx event, and the woman was you know she was a, a doctor. She was she knew what she was talking about, but she was petrified, and to the point where her whole body was shaking and her voice was shaking. So she she was t- talking like that it was really uncomfortable to listen to. And she did this for like at least 10 minutes. And the audience, it was, oh my goodness, it was awful to listen to and to watch. It was excruciating. And then partway through, (laughs) she kind of went, I think you can tell I'm pretty nervous. And oh my goodness, the audience erupted in laughter and it just released the tension for her. It released the tension for everybody just, you know, stating the obvious and it turned around. I mean, she she kind of pulled it together after that and she was much more fluent and and got through the rest of it and, you know, the audience breathed a sigh of relief because we were all with her. We've all been there, you know, there's, when we're, we've been in an uncomfortable position like that. But, you know, standing there in front of hundreds of people, knowing that it was going and you could, what what I find with with people too is that when you're at that point, then you're in your head, and all the little voices are saying, oh, you sound terrible. What are they thinking about you? And I get this from a, a personal perspective as a singer because I used to be paranoid about my own voice. And even in the 60s tribute show, there was a, a trio. We all shared the lead vocals and whatever. But I'd be, you know, had these little voices in my head saying, thinking that the audience was saying, what are you doing in, in this show? You, you're not good enough. They're much better than you are. And, you know, it cripples you having those those voices. So some of the things that i've i've seen go wrong in pitches and presentations have been connected to nerves and just not being fully prepared as well because that particular person had been invited to a masterclass with me and chose not to come and didn't learn any of those techniques so i <laughs> i think she might be kicking herself now <laughs> for not for not taking the opportunity <laughs> to do it in terms of you know the presentations that go well or the pitches that go well, it's when people are really passionate about what they're talking about. They're very clear. They know who their audience is and they tailor everything that they say to be relevant and engaging for that audience. And they've got a very, very clear call to action at the end of it. So the first question you should ever be asking yourself when you're about to deliver a, or design a pitch or presentation is, what do I want my audience to? to think, feel, or do at the end of my pitch. And if you start with the end in mind, with that clear objective, your message is going to be much clearer. Because you, we've all seen people who are, are brilliant presenters and, and you're always quite entertained and it's quite good. But actually, if, if you get to the end of it and you think, well, what, what was that actually about? Was there a message? Was there a point to that? Then they might be, might be entertainers But actually, are they good presenters? You know, did they achieve an objective in terms of moving the audience in in some way to some kind of action or or changing their thought process? So there's the balance to be struck. But usually when people are prepared and they've practiced and they have an idea about what they're saying and what their audience to do and they're enthusiastic about it, that's when, you know, they come across really well. And even if they are nervous and even if they stumble over their words a little bit, that passion, I think, really, really helps draw people in one of the best presentations i've ever seen is when i saw someone who uh, english wasn't her first language so she, partway through she kept asking her the people with her to translate little bits and pieces from a textbook idea of what a presentation should be she probably broke all the rules but what was compelling was her drive and her mission and her passion for what she was talking about and so to this day and that was probably about 13 or 14 years ago now, I still remember it. I still remember what what that message was.
1: Hmm. And I feel like so far in the conversation, we've it's perhaps been predicated a bit on the idea that if you're creative, you can have a bit of a tough time talking to these business people in shiny suits and fancy ties and all that sort of stuff. But surely when it comes to presenting creativity, that has to be an asset in some way.
0: Absolutely. I think actually creative people have an advantage in many ways because of they'll have a different perspective on things. You can they can stand out from the crowd in a way that, that other people not might not be able to. So it really is a case of tapping into that and utilizing that. And I mean the great thing is, as I said, standing out from the crowd, if you if you approach something in a creative way, it's all about standing out because particularly if you're you're pitching to investors and they've seen lots and lots of people or you're pitching for a competition as well, or even in a networking event and people are listening to other people talk about their businesses. If you can do it in a different way that actually stands out and makes people sit up and listen, you have the advantage, definitely. So I think there's that to consider. And if you can put that alongside your understanding of what business people care about, then you're, you're in a much better position. And at the end of the day, keep remembering, even though these business peoples might be in their shiny suits or whatever they are, they're still people. And they still, you know, we're all still human. And so if you can connect on a human level and connect with them emotionally and creative people have an ability to do, you know, touch people's emotions in a different way, then go for it. I think, you know, that's a really great opportunity.
1: Are there any presentations that you've seen or parts of presentations where you thought like that's just really creative you know they've really done their own thing there
0: yeah I think some of the presentations that are really memorable is when something visual has been used they've used a visual aid to really highlight the message and one that just came to my mind just then actually was a TEDx talk at Glasgow TEDx event and the message was about the fact that we use too many single use plastics and and she had had done it so that she focused on the amount of milk uh, milk cartons or plastic milk bottles that a family of four would use over a year she actually had people bring on stage that all of these milk bottles that, that a family would have used over a year, and it took four people to bring in this massive mound of, of milk bottles, and they couldn't have rehearsed it, but it worked really well because it worked as they they brought it in, and just as it as it kind of came in, it filled the stage. You know, you couldn't believe how many milk milk bottles there were, and then just as as the last bit was brought in, it all just slowly fell and and splashed across the stage. <laughs> but she compared that with. The waste that would have been created if that family had changed to using glass milk bottles that could be re- reused. And she just had a little round ball about the size of a tennis ball, which was the metal caps from the milk bottles all screwed up together. So the contrast between this tiny little ball that was the size of a tennis ball compared to all of these plastic bottles that littered the stage was so impactful. The visual of that. She didn't even need to say anything almost. And the message was very, very clear. So that's the kind of thing that you can start to do when you, when you think about um, you know, getting creative in, in the way that you communicate the message.
1: We've talked a lot about physical stages and presentations, but we're in a video calling world right now. So to finish our conversation, I asked Mel, what can be done to make sure you smash your next Zoom pitch or presentation?
0: So one of the key things is where they look. So actually looking into the camera is going to connect with people much more effectively than looking at yourself or someone else on the screen. You know, as a performer, I I actually didn't learn that when I was, we didn't do much stuff directly to camera, but then I did lots of stuff afterwards and got used to speaking into a camera lens. So now it feels weird to look away from the camera lens because I feel disconnected, but that's really, really something that's useful to practice is to look into the camera lens think about the framing, how you look, what's going on in the background. Does it represent you and the brand or the business that you're trying to communicate with? And again, being prepared, practicing with the technology. If you're sharing slides, for example, then making sure that you can do that easily and swiftly without wasting people's time and faffing about and all of that. Because particularly if you're pitching to an investor, they don't have a lot of time or patience or, you know, <laughs> for, for you to mess up. So just making sure that you've targeted that that pitch to that audience. But yeah, generally online, I think the idea that, you know, people think, oh, there's there's less connection online and particularly if it's a big event, for example. But ultimately, you know, you're sitting there in your office or in your living room or wherever you're looking from, you have a front row seat. It's much more intimate. So in actual fact, there's it's possible to create a closer connection than it would be if you were standing on a stage
1: Mel has shared so many tidbits of information that we can take and implement for our next time on stage or in front of the webcam. It's really encouraging to hear that the issues faced by so many creative people and businesses are eminently solvable, and that, in many ways, creativity could be your strongest asset. If you're in the university sector, staff, student, or recent graduate, and want to take your idea and develop it into a business then go to convergechallenge.com to find out more and begin changing your future and the world around you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then hit the subscribe button in whatever app you're using to listen to this right now, because we'll be back soon with more world-changing ideas and eye-opening stories. See you then.